Welcome to the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. This is the second part of our full interview with Philippe Costa and Jan Willem Atteveld from Automation Boutique, where we will get to know more about robotic process automation and the specificities of it. Philippe Costa is the founder of Automation Boutique and an accomplished automation manager specialized in finance and treasury. Jan Willem Atteveld is an expert in navigating tools like RPA, APIs, and AI, which, along with his extensive treasury experience, enables him to steer businesses toward optimization. In the episode of today, expect to learn how do RPA work exactly, what are the required skills to set up an RPA, whether somebody can, with no skills at all um, related to RPA, easily maintain an established RPA process, what are the problems and challenges that come with those kind of tools, and like always, much, much more. Our conversation with Philippe and Jan Willem was really cool. Those two are doing things in the treasury space that we don't see everywhere. Plus, they have this no-nonsense approach that Hussain and I really, really enjoy. We hope you will enjoy this episode too. And if that is the case, and when you think about how you found our podcast, chances are that it was through word of mouth, social media, or a recommendation from your favorite podcast platform. And this is our only request to you. The only way we can get more and more amazing guests and get more people to learn about treasury is thanks to you. So if you enjoy what you hear and maybe learn a thing or two, please consider following the show, leaving a review, or sharing this episode to help others discover it too. And with all that being said, please welcome Philip Costa and Jan Willem Atavelt. We would like to get into the, the nitty-gritty of RPA. Could you maybe start by breaking down how the RPA works exactly? Like, no, not how we use it, but more how does the RPA work in the details? Uh, yeah, uh, it's a broad question. I hope I'll, I'll, I'll give you the right answers. Very high level, how you have three components. One is studio or a editor where you as a programmer you program it you would have an orchestration environment where which will keep in mind on which bot needs to do what and then you have the final robot executing different tasks on either a virtual machine or local machine attended or unattended flow when it comes maybe the most interesting and maybe that was the origin of your question let's narrow down on the robot actually doing the the, the different steps when it comes to that, the robot will be interacting with different applications on your screen. So we said it typically would interact with the interface, with the visual interface of any application. And it has, again, two ways of doing that. One is robust, which is we always want to do. The other one is a bit crappy, which we try to avoid as much as possible. The, I'll start with the crappy one, and that is just looking at how things look like. So I'm looking for a button clicked submit. And the button is gray and it's uh, two centimeters uh, wide by one centimeter tall. So I could have a robot looking for a button which looks like this description and then click on it, which is a bit how we do it as humans. We're looking for things on the screen. But that is very, well, not ideal because what if the button size changes? What if I change the resolution on my screen? What if a little word is, is different? Anything is very deli delicate way of doing things. So that's not our preferred way. The other way is the robot will go under the skin of the applications and I will try to understand what is the technical setup, what is the technical selector of that 
application screen or whatever. And it will be when I'm programming it, I'm telling it instead of look for a button two centimeters by one with this text, I'll be telling it look for a button whose technical name is submit01, for example. And then wherever that button is, no matter the color, the size, the whatever, the robot will look for it and will, will find it, which makes uh, programming bots much more robust. And then on top of that, you have interaction with all different things. So if I need to do an API call, for example, typically, as we said before, typically I, have, I would have to set it up quite difficult in a quite complex way. Now, as a programmer, I would just have a connector, which I can drag in, in my flow. I put in the, the key parameters that I want, uh, and the bot will execute it. And then on the back of that, will it, when the robot is executing, will do its own magic, doing the API requests, fetching it back, handling the errors and, and all of that. Uh, and I get to enjoy the, the, the key benefits. Super clear. How do you set up and maintain an RPA then? Because we are talking about software, as you mentioned at the beginning of the episode, but how do you go from nothing to having an RPA integrated under the skin of your systems and software then like what, what are the tools out there? Yeah, th that is a bit vendor specific, but uh, there are many out there and they all have a bit like the same setup which I mentioned. They have a studio orchestrator and, uh, and a bot. So in studio, you can even do what you could do with macro recording. So you record your screen and the robot will get the piece of code of what does what you did and then you can edit it from that it as like just like macro you tend to get a bit of a crappy code out of it but it could be one way of of doing or at least to getting some parts of it but you would start with replicating the step and programming it often as i mentioned with a low code and put in the different uh, different steps to do things robustly we have frameworks out there as well which help us handle what happens if the automation doesn't go exactly as planned for example chrome crashed so it would be silly for the robot to crash immediately we want to the robot to try closing just like uh, it 101 close and open again we can tell the bot if something crashes in the step do the same close and open again so we have we put our code in this in frameworks which will have different states of the machine so it will have a startup state where it will open the applications we'll get a get information and get transaction data state we'll get the data that it needs they will have a process state and then we'll have a cleanup state and then depending if what happens at different states, it can retry and, can, and it can try to recover. So we would then program in this framework in this piece of code. We would then, to do it properly, you would then want to have someone else test it, properly the client, test it in their environment. If they're happy with that, you would want uh, someone other than the developer, typically move it from the uh, development environment to the production environment. And once it's deployed in the production environment, any end user who has that bot, who has been assigned that bot, they can launch it if it's an unattended bot or any unattended, sorry, if it's an attended bot or if it's an unattended bot, any robot available at a given time when the trigger is one can run that automation uh, then. And so what would be the, what would be the prerequisites for a company to implement RPA? So it, it goes to the specificities of system vendors, I understand, but like, is there any interest for the moms and pops baker at the corner of the streets uh, shop to implement an RPA? It, it depends a little bit. Some RPA licenses come at a cost, especially the more advanced ones. So they're not, uh, yeah, there's some cost involved. Sometimes you have it included in some of the office subscriptions. So then it's already a little bit more uh, cheap. 
So we usually always look like, okay, what software licenses are already in-house within the company? For example, Microsoft offers uh, uh, an automation solution as well. And then it can be, well, a a solution that would be suitable even for very small companies. We are currently building solutions for ranging from very small companies from a few uh, million turnover up till uh, 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 billions of turnover. So it's uh, basically suitable for every company that has repetitive uh, tasks that need to be uh, performed uh, on the computer. Yeah, and even... even smaller we have one client oh she's she's a friend of ours i think her turnover is around i think 80 to 100k and she's loving it like all her uh order management her invoicing is now automated at a fraction of the cost that would cost her to employ someone to do it uh, as well so one of the big advantages of rpa is that it's quick to develop quick to deploy and it's cost effective it is cheap that's just use simple words, uh, sometimes even free, depending on your size and then depending on what you need to do with it. Makes a lot of sense. So I guess at the end of the day, it comes down to the benefit case, right? All the savings you're going to make in terms of well, time spent by FTEs or human resources, can they be performed eventually faster and better by a, a robot that will cost a fraction of, of all this? So it's, it comes down to this. And, and that is great for us because we also tend to the like for us, there is enough work out there. So we really like to be quite transparent about things. If we don't think that RPA is the best way or there is, you're not going to be having a positive benefit, we will tell you clear like this, we would not do it like this if we were you. In fact, our most successful project some, some years ago was a project where we ended up not doing anything at all. We're just sitting around the table with different departments, two departments talking to each other wanting to automate a, um, a given report. And we were thinking, okay, which way? RPA, uh, we, do we put it on, on SharePoint? We have a, a, a link in SharePoint, whatever. And then we just started asking questions. Why do you need this report anyway? And then we said, because of this and this, because that team needs it. And then that team asked, yeah, but um, what do you do with it? Well, actually, we sent it to that other team. So we gave a call to the other team. It turned out that they had been doing this report for years, but no one in the end really cared for it or rather the cost of not doing it was really negligible. So in the end, we decided just, you know what, let's skip the whole thing. We don't do it. And we went home. No bot was a bit of a shitty day for us, but still we had good coffee and a nice interaction. So RPA is one of the tools, but not necessarily the best tool. And if you can eliminate the process, just eliminate it. Wow. So I really, really like this approach. And so that's great. I think that's focusing on the value you bring to your clients, right? But so then instead of like saying, do not do it at all and just eliminate the process. What are the other solutions that can come to your mind if it's not an RPA? Like when you say, if it's not the right solution to implement, we say it. So one of the possibilities indeed to say, guys, we just don't need that process. But in case they still need it, but RPA is not necessary, what would it be then? What could you implement? Yeah, maybe uh, that's good to uh, highlight a bit how we usually start because, uh, well, a lot of automations we are doing involve Excel, for example. So actions are taking place in Excel uh, and then data needs to be taken from some sources, for example, uh, a treasury management system, an ERP system, and then it needs to be loaded in Excel. There need to be some data transformations in Excel and then there needs to be a certain output. And then we usually start with the 80-20 rule, like, uh, uh, well, suppose you do the data extraction manually, but you put the, uh, the value extracted from the system in a certain folder. 
you click a button, uh, all the transformations that need to be done are done in Excel. The output is there how you want it. Uh, so that whole piece of work is uh, basically automated. And but it, it's for twenty percent, well, for, for the from the total cost. But it, it saves you like eighty percent of the work you normally have to do. And that final twenty percent, if you want to automate that as well, the data extraction, only then you need to uh, to start adding an RPA uh, solution on top of that. So that's yeah, you don't always need an RPA solution to get great results and great time savings uh, uh, in a very short time frame. So it's, it's a bit case by case, of course, but uh, this is, an, I think, a nice example where we yeah, see that RPA is not always uh, needed or the preferred solution to start with. And we are aware this, that recommending using Excel is controversial, to say the least, and is quite far from the usual trend that you would expect from a company like Automation Boutique. It would be much easier for us to have a model say, you need to eliminate Excel, don't use it, you need to move away of that. And that is true to some extent. Excel does have a number of issues, number of errors, but we, what we see is that the majority of those, what we need to see, to see, we see two things. One, the majority of these errors and the fallbacks are actually uh, using Excel in the wrong way. Uh, and there are a number of bugs and issues in Excel, which are not do they're not Excel's fault. You're just using it how it was not meant to be, or you're not using, using the right tool within Excel for how it's meant to be. And the other thing that we also see is that there is a huge amount of resistance uh, against abandoning Excel. So we can either go against that or we can embrace it. And one of the big things that we do in automation projects is getting people on board, getting people excited and seeing the benefits of it instead of going against the flow. You, some, you often need a bit of a top-down approach to invest in automation, but you definitely need a bottom-up buy-in, otherwise it's really not going to succeed. Uh, so if we can use, as Jan Willem said, a few queries in Excel, we can get 80-20 benefit, and then we can move on from there. And the last thing I'd like to say, if from the, say, 80% benefit that we're releasing, we want to spend some of that on teaching and train, training the people involved on how to, Excel, how to use Excel better. Uh, so they don't need to rely on us. They will get the skills and they will stop doing the errors, mistakes, and they can maintain or they can handle the automation or other automations independently with some great tools which are out there. And one that I would like to highlight is not today's session, but Power Query. It's a hidden gem in Excel. That is the engine of Power BI. Again, another Microsoft tool within Excel that no one knows about. And you can do so much and so well in a clear and robust way. Clever wants to go and learn Power Query now. That's it's good to know. <laughs> if I have a department, right, that I want to implement RPN, what are the skills that I need to get it going? Like me as a non-technical, non-computer science or or engineer or anything like this, what do I need to upskill myself in to be able to start thinking about implementing RPA in my processes? What would you say would set me up for success, even if I'm going to and uh, bring in a third party to implement it? Well, again, there are many vendors out there. Some of them, or many of them, they also have free trainings available, which are really good. So I would, the first step that we usually recommend to our clients is go and sign up to this academy, or even there is a lot of free content on YouTube. There are many books and follow a few trainings and try it out. We typically advise them to skip even uh, the most most basic or the citizen citizen de developer flavor to go straight to the foundation developer flavor 
which will give them, I think, the right tools without confusing too much. So that's something you could do already. It's free, it's well organized, and I will get you the first uh, basic skills. We'll put some in, link some in the show notes, actually, for the listeners, perhaps. If you could share some, we can put them into the show notes of the podcast. Yeah, when uh, advising on an RPA solution, for example, we use at uh, uh, Gardner's Magic Quadrant for RPA. And which vendors are the leaders? And uh, every year it changes a bit. And there we usually see, well, a few being very outstanding and uh, those also happen to have the greatest uh, uh, learning content online. So uh, if you could make the time to learn, yeah, you, you can get to a pretty advanced uh, level uh, without uh, paying any uh, training costs, except for your time. Yeah, well, we can even mention it, perhaps like it's public information. If you get the latest Magic Quadrant, which is not from us, it's really independent reviews, you will see that UiPath is year after year always number one. And I think that's also due to their strategy where they started with a community edition of the of RPA as a solution, which anyone can or could download for free, uh, play around, you can follow the academy, and it's exactly the same as the enterprise version, well, very close to the enterprise version. So your skills are immediately transferable to the, your working environment, just the licensing will be different. So follow that, there is free training, free, free tutorials uh, on your path itself, you can learn a bunch. If you want to learn the other ones, Blueprism, Automation Anywhere, there's a bunch of YouTube content. Microsoft is a rising star in the RPA environment, not quite as good as UiPath. Uh, if you are in the Microsoft environment only, so SharePoint, Microsoft Lists, Microsoft Forms and whatnot, then Microsoft RPA or the Power Platform, how they call it, is also good. And even there, you have a lot of, of content and training that you can follow. Super cool. All right, we'll link them definitely in the show notes below. Uh, that's if I want to get started, right? So I perhaps learn a little bit of the basics, understand the processes, how it works, using these trainings, contact a third party most likely to help me implement it, maintaining it ongoing. Again, to a department or a company that you would say, yes, an RP would be applicable to them, but really they don't have any strong systems in place already to be able to maintain that. How, what does that, how do you get started being able to maintain that? That is, again, quite uh, easy. Well, there are different angles to this, this question. Uh, one, from a technology point of view, all these vendors make it really quite easy for you. Until a few years ago, when I started, we need to have, uh, for example, orchestration. You need to have it on a server. You need to get your own server space. You need to install it, deploy it, and all of that and maintain it. Today, they all offer cloud solutions. So you don't need to worry about that the least you don't need any IT skills, you don't need any installation overhead, any of that. You just click a button, you, you have it deployed on a, on a secured cloud space and it just works. So that's the technical side. Uh, short answer, really easy. That's not the problem. Don't worry about it. On an organizational side, there it depends. Depends where you are on your journey. If, it's, if you're doing your first automations, one, two, three, four, five automations, you're core objective is not so much focused on structuring things, but you want to lay the right foundation. So do things well, uh, don't get too, uh, so that means use the right framework, start having a development environment in your, uh, in your orchestrator, but don't be too worried on how to set things up because the objective is to get you excited, get the people around you excited and get the, uh, your organization a bit familiar with what is happening. 
cut, you get to a point where you need to move on that stage and then you need to get your risk management, your compliance, your legal department a bit more involved because a few questions are going to start arising. Who is this user, this robot? How do we administer it? Uh, whose responsibility is it if things go wrong? So then you need to start structuring a little bit the whole organization of robots. And there will be a good opportunity to start thinking, uh, you want to set up a small center of excellence? How do you want it organized and whatnot? But take it step by step and then everything will be fine. Okay, makes sense. And what would, so what would come um, for, for somebody who got an RPA installed, right? Uh, just in the department, he was not in charge rather or she uh, of the implementation, neither the maintenance, but all of a sudden needs it. I mean, is it, it's added as one of its responsibilities. Is it easy to maintain an RPA? Like, if we talk about a bot that just goes into a banking portal to take information, feed your Excel spreadsheet, and get your report all done, for somebody who's just arriving once <clears throat> everything is already there, is it easy to get a hand of it? I'm asking the question because, so from my personal experience with VBA and Excel macros, you can somehow understand, right? You just get into the Excel, you do your own macro, you save it, you see what it makes in code and so on. That's, that, that's how we learn. Is it the same for RPAs or do you really need a knowledge basis uh, in order to get there? Yeah, I think given the, the low code way of uh, how it is, uh, is, is created, it's different blocks and it's fairly easy to at least derive from what is what kind of text is in the block to see what that st step exactly does so i think if you have just a little bit of technical expertise not that much like you know uh our code is built up you have to start on the top and finish at the bottom and you can basically visually see the different steps so if you need to make a small adjustment, for example, a file name has changed or uh, I don't know, it's fairly easy to detect uh, where the, in which, which uh, step does that take place and how can I change it. Building a new automation from the ground up, that requires a little bit of more knowledge, I think, but uh, making a very small change in, in an existing robot uh, is, is not that hard, I think. Depends, of course, on the, on the exact uh, solution implemented, but in general, it's easier to read than uh, uh, a visual basic uh, code, I think. 